When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We're going to have a great show for you this evening. In just a moment, uh, I will be joined by Kara Brandt. Kara is the owner and CEO of Clinical Trial Media, which is a global pa- uh, patient, I keep wanting to say patent, patient recruitment and retention company. And Kara's story is amazing for several reasons, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Be sure to stay with us as always going into our breaks to hear from our amazing watch team of on-air contributors talking about the latest news in their own fields of health, finance, technology, leadership, and diversity. And to get in touch with any member of our team, feel free to go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And sign up for our newsletter there as well to stay in the loop on all of our upcoming guests. Our audience is continuing to grow, and we hope you'll stay connected socially with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Women to Watch as well. We always have some exciting news to share. So now, without any further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show Kara, who's with me in the studio, as well as her husband, Mark, who is her business partner. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sue, for having us. I want to mention to the listeners as well, you are the first female C-level executive of clinical trial media, um, in addition to having worked there, left and then turned around and came back and bought the company and now lead it as the CEO. So um, that's very impressive. And we'll find out kind of the catalyst for that. Uh, But first, I want you to kind of share a little bit about your upbringing and and your growing up years in Long Island. Okay, great. Yeah, so I was born and raised on Long Island. Um, My parents are both involved in healthcare. My mother was a medical transcriber for a local hospital. My father was an EMT in Jamaica, Queens, and also a volunteer fireman. Um, I also have a brother who is nine years older than me. So while we were very close, he left for college when I was nine. So I spent a lot of time sort of feeling like an only child, which I think also helped breed some of the independence that I have. And probably missing him. Very much. Right? Very much. So yes, yes. Um, And my parents were incredibly supportive growing up. My father, particularly, really drove home the idea that I could do anything I wanted to do. Um, My father 
really never distinguished between boys and girls and sort of careers that focused on men or women. In my mind, I never saw limits. I never thought that there was something I wouldn't be allowed to do. Um, So I was a little bit brazen in some things I might say and do growing up just because I didn't understand sort of some of the social norms that that were put out there, Mm. um, which I'm grateful that I didn't see them and I tend to still not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today I remember talking to you prior and you were actually told you were bossy as as a little girl, which is a big movement today, right? About not being bossy. Yes, I I was. And, you know, the thing was, I just had always had an opinion. And um, which is great. Yeah, it was great. And, And look, maybe my delivery wasn't always great. But what would happen is, you know, I would be sitting around with friends and and it would sort of be this, what should we do? What should we do? And no one would really offer an idea. So I'd put something out there. We'd end up doing it. And then everyone would say, well, why do we always do what you want to do? You know, and <laughs> so it was sort of, um, I was very uncomfortable with my bossiness for a while. Um, and I found myself in later in high school, in the beginning of college, sort of holding back a little bit and mm-hmm. being afraid to sort of lead um, because I got so much resistance. Looking back, it was probably a mix of things. It was probably my delivery, um, you know, probably inserting myself when I shouldn't. It was probably a mix of stuff. I I don't want to say that it was everyone was wrong and and I was fine. I'm sure that I could have handled things differently. But but it did affect me for quite Mm -hmm. a few years where I was almost afraid to step out of my comfort zone and lead people because I didn't want to be called bossy. Yeah, that's so interesting. You because I think um, had people not labeled you that um, it really is a tremendous quality and you you're an idea person I would imagine very would you much. say that oh yes very yeah. much so you know why are we always doing what Kara wants to do because she's the only one <laughs> giving right, ideas right right yeah. so you know I and and I see it also you know I saw it a lot from my father my father was a born leader um he organized all kinds of events at our local church he put together baseball card shows that went all over Long Island he created a Christian rock band with my mother called the spirit lifters oh, um, I love that. so uh, my father had no shame in being bossy he was fine with that he didn't care if people thought he was bossy um, so I I would like to take a little bit of that but keep some of my um, awareness of other people's feelings and sort of blend them together Um, Well, you know what? There's always a good balance of if you're an idea person and and you should have a voice and, and, you know, share that um, of also being a good listener, especially as a CEO. Absolutely. That's how you're learning. Yeah. I I like to think of myself as a collaborative leader. So I really like to get the opinions and thoughts of all of people working with me on a particular team and hear everyone's opinion, kind of go through it all together. And then I make a decision. And once we make a decision, well, I'll move on and that's it. But I do like to give everyone an opportunity because you never know where you're going to learn something or your next idea might um, blossom even more just from the feedback of those around you. Right. And and I would say that often there are problems happening happening within a company and you have 30 employees. So there can be an issue that maybe you're not aware of. And so you really need to have a culture where the people that work for you feel that they can speak up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of my story in working my way up from starting at the company in 2001 as an assistant, I worked most of the jobs at the organization. And if I didn't work it myself, I actually built the department or the job itself and created it. So I'm so tuned in on what people's daily life is like. And even though their roles might evolve and grow and they're learning more now than I ever did, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, I still have a sense of what it's like to walk in their shoes. So tell me about when you were young, you know, what did you dream of being? We all have a vision for what we want to be when when we grow up. And you you graduated from Ithaca College. 
college in 2000 with a degree in marketing and advertising. How did that sure. come about? So um, growing up, I always knew I wanted to help people. Um, I was very involved in the Girl Scouts for a long time, all the way through almost high school. Um, and I learned a lot about leadership and team building there. And, you know, my family was very involved in charity um, and giving back to the local community. So I always knew I wanted to help people out. My family came from healthcare. I didn't I didn't really gravitate towards healthcare. I didn't I didn't know what the fit was for me. Um, but I loved advertising. You know, growing up, I'd watch Who's the Boss and Angela Bauer was like the coolest. You know, she'd go to work every right. day oh, and she worked show. in the city and she was this cool ad executive. Um, so I knew I wanted to go to communications at Ithaca. They have a great school there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't know where I was going to take it because I knew I didn't want to I didn't want to do advertising that would push products that I didn't believe in. I, I really didn't want to do that. Um so I just kind of got involved in advertising there, fell in love with it. My first job out of college was at a public relations firm in Manhattan that really focused on high-tech clients. And it was interesting and it was cool. Um, it was sort of cutting edge with the dot-com era, so this was all right. really new. Yes. Um, but I wasn't passionate about it. When I interviewed at CTM and first heard about clinical trials, I didn't even know what clinical trials were at that point. Um, it started to resonate with me that this might be that that piece that was missing. So I would have an opportunity to market clinical trials out to patients and use my advertising background, but now in a healthcare environment where I actually felt I was doing something meaningful and helping people. Okay. We're going to take our first break. And when we come back, I want to learn a little bit about those years that you were there um, working for CTM. Stay with us to hear from Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem and Holly Dowling for our Leadership Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about the three C's that leaders should focus on when managing through organizational change, clarity, communication, and compassion. Let's start with the first C, clarity. Change during times of transition can cause significant angst and loss of productivity for an organization. The number one thing a leader can do to help with the change management process is to define as clearly as possible where the organization is going and the steps that will be taken to get there. It's been my experience that if you don't do this, there's even more disruption and stress because people will begin to fill in the blanks themselves around the unknown, often with worst case scenarios that never actually were in the making or ever come to be. The second C is communication. There's no such thing as over-communicating. What people want, always, from their leaders are honesty, candor, and transparency. Straight talk. Communication during periods of extensive change should be frequent, consistent, and across multiple forums. Town halls, roundtables, regular update memos, ask me anything calls, they're all helpful as key messages often need to be reiterated to take hold. Constantly remind the team of where you are in the journey and provide timelines and specificity whenever possible. It's also important to engage your leadership team and other ambassadors to cascade key messages throughout the organization. Multiple voices of consistency are better than just one, and it's also critical to provide a forum for two-way communication to get a true feel for how the organization is feeling and how you can better help them on the journey of change. And finally, the third C, compassion. Don't put off or be afraid of having the difficult conversations that need to take place or making the changes that need to happen to move the organization forward. But ensure that you're always treating people with dignity and respect. How you say things, how you treat people matter. At the end of the day, what people will remember most is how you made them feel. 
The three C's, clarity, communication, and compassion, go a long way in ensuring positive outcomes and the preservation of relationships and trust. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch. Thrilled to share with you that tomorrow I will be speaking for a huge global event called The Brilliant Event. And it's for women who are really working to become the highest version of themselves, whether that's financially, spiritually, whatever that is. And so for all of the leaders out there and for anyone out there, whether you have your own business, whether you're running a company, whether you're leading a team, whatever you're doing with your life right now, I'm going to ask you to think about something, and that is, do you have your message in a bottle, and how are you impacting the people around you? This is one of the greatest joys that I get, is to help people empower themselves and bring your power up and out, and especially as a leader, you're expected to speak a lot and present your message, whether it's your content or changes or initiatives coming, or especially for entrepreneurs, even if it's a small company, Are you representing your company and sharing your message and truly bringing the sizzle and bringing the message to life so that the people that you are attempting to influence are feeling so impacted when they're done that they want to know more about you, more about your company, more about your products? You see, that's where we miss the boat, and it's one of my passions. I love working with people to help you bring out the best of you and take your message Take your content, simplify it, and bring the sizzle so that when you get in front of a group, whether it's large, small, thousands, or in a team, that you feel you've been empowered to make a difference in someone's life. Because the truth of the matter is, gang, for every 60 minutes that you're speaking, people are only going to remember seven minutes. So what are you doing to bring stories, analogies, and to make your message stick? I would love to work with you. So please reach out to me at holly at hollydowling.com and let me know how I can support you. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm having a great conversation this evening with Cara Brandt, the owner and CEO of Clinical Trial Media. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about your, um, you know, you decided to go take an interview with CTM. Tell me first how that came about. You were working with an advertising agency and Sure. Yeah. How did that yeah, opportunity so, um, come? I was working in Manhattan. It was 2001, and it was right around the dot-com bust. And I was at a high-tech PR firm. Most of our clients were somehow involved in those early dot-com years. Um, and the company just was losing clients, and they were going to get absorbed by the larger PR group. And I felt like I was last one in. I'm going to be first one out. I didn't love commuting to the city. I liked mm-hmm. it for a brief period, but it gets old quick. 
Yeah. Um, and I just wanted something more local. So I just happened on a fluke to have a job recruiter that sent me over to CTM, which was really close to where I live. And okay. let's face it, that's what drew me at first. There you go. <laughs> Logistics. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I got there and I learned about what they were doing, I just found it so interesting. I had never heard of it before. I'd never heard of clinical trials um, and didn't realize that this was a real thing that was going on all around me. Yeah. Um, I love what you said. Um, I have a quote here. You said, I will stay at a company as long as I'm learning. And yeah. um, were, did, w- before you left, obviously there was something that, you know, had you leave there. Was it that fact that you were not learning? Did you feel like it was stagnant? Yeah. So when I started there, um, the company was a lot smaller. Um, it was owned by two brothers who had worked under with their father. And the company originally had been sort of a media buying company for general advertisers. And um, through an employee that they had there, they all sort of started getting into the clinical research area. Um, so by the time I got there, they had really started having a lot of opportunities and clients. I was like the third one hired in the department. When I got there, there was definitely a feeling among some of the women there that um, there was no opportunity for me there, that I should leave and go back to the city because I was never going to advance there. Um, There was a feeling that the owners wouldn't promote women and that men were really looked at as salespeople who could have a um, financially successful career there and women were more administrative. It was not. Wow, it sounds like 1960. I know, of, I know. Yeah. And it was it was unfortunate because it, this wasn't something that was being told to me by the owners. They they didn't say that anything like that to me. This was something shared with me by employees who had been there a long time. Okay. Um, women who, and I remember I went home and I was just crying because I thought I made the biggest mistake mm-hmm. in going there because I had big hopes. I was going to be Angela Bauer, you know, I had yeah. a lot to do. <laughs> um, and so I went home and I said to myself, well, There's so much to learn here. This is a whole industry I never knew existed. Everyone seems really nice. The owners are telling me that, um, you know, there's opportunity for me here. So I'm just going to learn everything I can. And every day when I come in, I'm going to just keep learning and asking questions and be curious. And if there ever comes a time where I feel like I'm stagnant and I'm not learning anymore, I'll leave. And that took about 15 years to happen. Wow. Um, So all along the way, I sort of blazed my own trail there. Um, I just rolled my sleeves up and I dug in. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of opportunity to build. We were growing. It was a new um, company in a sense. It was sort of a new industry. Clinical trials have always been going on. The way they used to enroll patients was that doctor's offices, the research sites, would just bring in patients from their practice. Okay. But as there's become more and more competition and more clinical trials out there, that's not enough. A, a mm. physician, you're, they only have a certain number of patients. They can't put them in every trial, right? right. So now there's companies like mine who go out and try to find those, those patients who have a need and match the criteria of the study um, based on their disease or their indication. So there was so much to learn. Um, so I went from an assistant to a project manager and got into sales within two years of being there. I was the first female salesperson. Um, I didn't ask to be in sales. I, well, maybe I did and kind of got a sense that it was, I, I didn't have a whole group rallying behind me to sort of push me into it. I ended up having a conversation with my dentist one day about what I did for a living. And he mentioned his brother ran clinical trials. And I picked up the phone and I called his brother and I made a sale. There you go. And they yeah. kind of had yeah. no choice but to put me into sales at that point. Yeah, you took the initiative. Yes. Which it seems to be a pattern. To I don't me like to be told. Life. Yeah, I don't like to be told no. Mm-hmm. And I had a feeling <laughs> that if I asked, I would sort of be told no, it's not the right time, et cetera. 
Um, so then I kind of went on my own and did really well in sales there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the company was growing. And I started recognizing other areas that sort of didn't have enough oversight. Um, the project management team, we were growing. We were starting to become a global company. And I just had so many ideas of how to better train people, mentor the group so that everyone could grow and, and reach their potential. That's really important to me. I'm, I'm, I don't like to focus on just myself and my own success. I feel like as a team, we all need to do our best work. And, and I feel that if people are doing something that they feel good about and they're succeeding, they're so happy and motivated. Yes, yes. yes. Um, so that was really important to me. And so I sort of started wearing multiple hats and I was running my own sales. I eventually sort of begged and pushed to become the COO, which had never happened before. There had never, there had never really been a C-suite um, there had been male salespeople that were sort of favored and looked at, at, at um, you know, favorably, but there hadn't really been a C-suite. There certainly hadn't been a woman um, that was on the level of the owners helping to make decisions. Were they? Do you, would you say they were recognizing what you were doing? Yes. And, you're, and giving you that verbal feedback? Yeah. You're um, doing a good job? We're, yeah, I think I got that feedback. I, I don't... I don't think that the owners were as passionate about the business as I was. So they sort of had started um, in general advertising. I think that's where their heart was. Mm -hmm. And so they were all for my ideas and things I wanted to do, but it was really up to me to do them and to get them done. Okay. So there was they, that support there. We love what your what your vision is and what you're you know what you're thinking about for us as a company. Yeah, it was yeah. more like. Sh- Go ahead. Show us. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take another break. And um, I want to talk about the stigma around clinical trials and how you're dispelling maybe some of the myths around it. Great. That sounds great. Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for our Health Watch and Terry McDermott and Maggie Corrado for your Finance Watch. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Summer's here, but before you switch to flip-flops, let's talk about feet. Foot pain, very common, 19% of men, 25% of women, and has a negative impact on quality of life. A special concern in older patients when it affects balance and walking, it increases the risk for falling. Who's at risk? Older people with arthritis of toes and feet, obese people. Carrying extra weight during standing and walking causes plantar fasciitis, intense pain in the rear of the foot when you first step out of bed. And chronic venous insufficiency can cause serious swelling. Athletes with running and jumping, up to 72% of elite college football players have significant injuries like turf toe and ouch toe dislocation. That hurts. Gymnasts, up to 17% have stress fractures in any given season. Then skin problems like fungal infection, skin maceration between toes. Think of feet as your foundation. Pain can make you walk differently, cause back and knee pain, and may increase your fall risk. Pain can also result from poor circulation or nerve damage from diabetes. Burning, tingling, numbness can also mean nerve damage from spinal cord injury. This summer, remember, don't go barefoot. Flip-flops to avoid splinters, broken shells, glass. Put sunscreen on the top surface of feet to avoid burning. Wear shoes that fit. Corns, calluses, bunions are more likely in women. So if you choose high heels, think about flats or sneakers to walk to the car, then put heels on to walk into work or the party. 
Tell your doctor if you have pain. It may signal a more serious condition. And be careful when you cut your toenails, especially if you have a hip or knee replacement. If it's hard to reach your toes, see a podiatrist. An ingrown toenail can lead to infection, which can then spread to your new hip or knee joint. So divas, if you want to be a dancing queen, show your feet some love. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie. And this is Terry. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Most people understand that a will is an important document to have in place. But did you realize that there are actually five important documents that we all should have? Terry, why don't you list the first three? Sure. First, everyone over the age of 18 should have a power of attorney for health care, which is different than an advanced directive. The health care POA appoints someone to make medical decisions on your behalf if you're incapacitated, even for a short time. Wouldn't you rather choose the person best suited for this task while you're able? Alert for parents of college-age children. HIPAA laws can prevent you from access to your child's medical information without this document in place. Then a durable power of attorney for finance enables the appointed person to manage all your financial affairs. Again, why not choose those decision makers now to avoid issues if your loved ones are left to decide? Revocable trusts are not just for the wealthy but can be used for, by anyone with assets. The trust can function like a will, allowing the estate to avoid probate. The trust maker can maintain control of their assets as for as long as they like or as, are able to manage them. Beware of scams that promise that a revocable trust will avoid estate and other taxes, as this is not the case. The fourth is a will. Without a valid will, your estate will be subject to your estate's intestacy laws, and a judge will decide how your assets will be distributed. A will is especially important for those with dependent children, as it allows us to name guardians for them. Otherwise, the state will decide. Writing a will is the best assurance that your wishes will be respected. The medical or advanced directive lets the medical world know the steps you want taken to keep you alive such as whether or not you want artificial support for breathing and eating with a ventilator and feeding tube. This information is not intended to be legal advice. Estate law is complicated and is different in each state. Please consult with an estate planning attorney or specialist regarding your particular situation. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Cara Brand, and she's the owner and CEO of Clinical Trial Media. And um, probably most of you have heard of clinical trials, and this is how, you know, we discover what medications and treatments are working and, and what are not, and kind of the next great thing. And there is stigma around it, so I'd love to give you an opportunity to just talk about what are the, you know, the typical um 
reservations people have and what can you share with us, you know, to dispel some of the myths? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think overall that people sort of have this image in mind when they think of clinical trials, they probably think of a lab rat or a guinea pig or, you know, um, mass media, movies, TV shows have have done a, not a great job of making clinical trials look good. Um, you'll see people kind of looking like they're being poked at and prodded. Um, and so I understand the fear. There's also some real world things that have happened in this country that um, like the Tuskegee experiments, which are a blight on the history of clinical research and a terrible thing that happened, um, but from which many regulations have come out. Uh, and, and trials now are incredibly regulated. You know, the thing that I find so interesting is that most people don't think about when they take a pill, whether it's something over the counter or something prescribed to you by a physician, whether it's for a life-threatening illness or something even cosmetic, most people don't think about how, how did that pill get approved? How do we know that pill is safe? And everyone sort of takes it for granted that, oh, my doctor said to take it, so I take it. But your doctor is not the one who determined the safety and efficacy of this drug. Um, the FDA and other uh, government agencies around the world have tested these medications for your safety and to make sure that they're viable and that they are helpful and impactful. Um, there are hundreds of thousands of people all over the world every year that are participating in clinical research. And I think that most people, first of all, I don't think most people realize that. Um, in this country alone, there's about 50,000 studies that are actively recruiting patients at any given time. And studies range from really serious diseases, like most people probably imagine clinical research for cancer, um, maybe Alzheimer's, MS, Parkinson's. Um, but And those are all true. Those are all areas that we're currently in research and, and some more than others because every year they sort of find new information that pieces the puzzle together. But there's also trials going on every day for chronic illnesses, um, a lot of research in diabetes and osteoarthritis. Um, then there's sort of what I like to call the funner trials, trials that enroll themselves for baldness or for wrinkles. Um, I once worked on a project that was Botox for migraines. I mean, that study couldn't have enrolled faster. You were getting <laughs> free Botox and helping your migraines. So, you know, um, so it's, it's really, it's a fascinating field. And the thing that scares me the most when I look at the future is that we all want to advance um, Healthcare. We all want to advance the science behind treatments and um, medication that can stop the progression of certain diseases and, of course, find a cure. Um, you know, I, I, I watched when the hepatitis C groups discovered a cure for hepatitis C. And so I know there's a lot of people who think that drug companies don't find cures, but they do. Um, and so what scares me is that right now about 80 percent of trials don't meet their end date of completion because of a lack of patients. It's not a lack of funding or money. And so it's actually people because we're, you're not going to want to try a drug or a new medication if it hasn't been tested on people. Does it do just real quick testing is the norm to start on animals and then yes. work its way through. Is yes. there a progression? Yeah. So there's um, so first testing goes into animals. Then there's phase one testing. That's first in human. Those are very small trials. They're usually for healthy people. Um, it's really just testing dosage and any major side effects. Um, uh, sometimes it might be people that have the disease and they're just looking again for safety, you know, high level safety. Mm -hmm. um, so that's phase one. Phase two is when they actually take the um, group of the population 
population with that specific disease that has the matching criteria for the study. So let's say if it was a diabetes study, they'd be looking to see, are you type 2? What age range are you in? Are you on insulin? So you'd have to match sort of what the study is seeking. It's a small group of people, and they're taste testing safety, tolerability, um, some dosage, efficacy, basic things like that. And they're monitoring very closely um, what's happening throughout this trial. And then side effects. Side effects. Yeah, yeah. anything. They're, they're sort of measuring all of it. And then that information, once phase two is completed, that um, gets reviewed, analyzed. It takes quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And then if, if it's all looking good and promising, then they'll go to phase three. Phase three typically is on hundreds, if not thousands of people that participate in that trial. Um, and that's testing, again, all of the measures that you did in phase two, but now on a bigger scale. Um, you may have placebo groups, obviously, that you're going to randomize to determine if there's a placebo effect that's going on. But phase three is their last step. Once that's done, then it takes a couple years, but they go to FDA submission in the U.S., and that's how a drug will then eventually become approved. It takes years, years for drug development and billions of dollars. Right. I mean, a lot goes into this. I would imagine people, what what's um, keeping them from doing it would be two things. Fear mm-hmm. of, of taking something, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine people who are suffering from something would be more eager to do the test. And then time. So uh, perhaps older people, retired people have the time to do this and younger people do not. So what, yes. how do you address yeah, that? Yeah, so I completely agree with you. I think fear is one thing. And um, I'm working really hard right now on trying to dispel a lot of those fears and put out into the media how safe and tolerable clinical trials really are. So that's a big initiative that we're working on currently. Um, the second, as far as time, I completely agree with you. Um, peop- and, and, and it's twofold, right? So it's also the fact that you're, you're right. When people have the illness and people are suffering, they are willing to do whatever they have to do to get help and treatment. If you have Crohn's disease and you've tried every medication that out, that's out there, you know there is no cure. Most of the things that are out on the market don't do enough to really relieve your symptoms. So any Crohn's, people who suffer from Crohn's tend to be very involved in their health care because they're always looking for another answer. It really is affects the overall quality of their life in a really bad way. Um, so those people are going to be searching for clinical research. So they they are more interested. What the industry is looking to do now to answer the question on how, what about everybody else who just works and doesn't, you know, has, has children and has things to do that they can't participate. So we're looking to move into the future to doing a lot more at-home visits. Um, right now, the research sites, the doctor's offices that are conducting these trials, they are at their own physical offices. We're trying to get away from that model where more of this can be done at home, maybe mobile mm. trial um, centers that can come to you. So there's a lot of things being worked on to try to deal with the time elements. Um, and I know that a lot of the research sites really will try hard to work with your schedule as best that they can. Right. Okay. We're going to take one last break. Uh, I'm speaking with Cara Brandt, the owner and CEO of Clinical Trial Media. Stay with us for our Tech Watch and Shanadi, excuse me, Hanadi Shahabadeen for diversity. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch, Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all, this is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. Among the documented tales in the Islamic tradition, the story of a prostitute who entered paradise for giving a thirsty dog in the desert some water. She was thirsty herself and came across a well that did not have a bucket in it. She jumped in the well and drank her fill. When she got out, her clothes were dripping and there was a dog nearby that kept going in circles and sniffing the mud that was forming around her. 
She knew the dog was thirsty, so she jumped back in the well, filled her slipper with water, held it with her teeth, used her hands to make it back up, and gave the dog his fill. The mercy she had in her heart was the door for her to earn contentment of her creator and ultimately paradise. Today's prophetic ethic is mercy and compassion. Mercy is the virtue through which creations bond, help each other, and be of service to one another, while compassion is the act of removing harm or alleviating the pain of others. These two virtues compel the rich to donate to the poor, the strong to help the weak, the youth to take care of the elderly, and so forth. We are better off as a community when we look at each other through that lens, not just within people from our own faith, but also different faith groups as well. Quote, and we have sent Jesus, the son of Mary, and bestowed on him the gospel, and we ordained in the hearts of those who followed him compassion and mercy, end quote. This verse in chapter 57 in the Quran invites people to view other faiths in good favor. Quote, the merciful are shown mercy by the most merciful. Be merciful on those on earth, and you will be shown mercy from who is above the heavens, end quote. Said Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. This man who was practicing and preaching mercy was himself described in the Quran as a mercy to the worlds, the world of humans, animals, plants, and all the worlds that exist out there. His documented life with great details is studied and followed by people around the world. To know more, connect with me on hanadispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. There are approximately 26 billion users of social media, and the way these sites are used can have positive and negative impacts. After reading a very sad article about a young girl who was bullied on social media, I felt the need to broadcast this segment. Did you know that Generation Z, Gen Z, doesn't know a world without smart devices and, according to some reports, spend as much as three to four hours online a day? I personally think it's more. When I asked my niece, who's 17, why she thought her generation uses social media, she said to communicate with friends, share information and photos about themselves and others. She told me her and her friends feel it's important to have a social media presence. But social media can create a lot of anxiety for girls. They worry that friends or family will post an embarrassing photo of them or that their post will be ignored. Oftentimes, they're the recipient of cyberbullying and harassed by others, which can damage their self-esteem and reputation. Girls often share personal information which leaves the door open to predators or online scams. In one survey, I saw 85% of girls receive a friend request from strangers and 44% of those girls accept the requests. That's scary. How do you know when all of this is a problem? Girl or boy, if they're spending too much time on social media, they can become disconnected. You may observe a lack of enthusiasm for offline activities. You may find it difficult to hold a conversation with them, and their grades may be slipping. 
If they're the recipient of cyberbullying, you may find their self-esteem has dropped and they're isolating themselves. My advice is to get educated and share this education with children and teenagers. There's some awesome web forms like reachout.com or kindcampaign.org that provide insight and guidance for adults and the Gen Z. Your local schools will have information too and can help guide you. Please get educated on this topic. You'll be shocked at what you find. I'm Mary at pathwayscg.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. So, Kara, we should go back and talk about one of the most important parts of your journey and your story is that you left CTM and came back and bought the company, and you're now the CEO. Yes. Tell me, tell yeah, me about so, that. So after about 15 years, I did get stagnant, and I felt like there was really nothing else to learn. I had sort of achieved all my goals, and at that point, I was COO. And really, to get to the next level in my vision, um, I was going to need to be in charge. I was going to need to be making all the decisions on investment spending and sort of where our growth would be. And um, at that point, the owners weren't really interested in selling. This was about 2015. And so I called my own bluff and I, I left. I resigned, which was a huge that was gutsy. step. It, it, it really was. It really was. I had a good situation going. Um, you know, financially, things were really good for me there. I had a lot of autonomy, but just something inside me just felt like I was stifled and I couldn't actualize my dream. So I left. Um, I spent some time kind of just uh, taking care of myself. I got into yoga and meditation and all the things that people say they do when they have a chance. Um, <laughs> you reflect, I you did. look within. <laughs> I did, I did. And I really thought about, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my career? What's my next move? And I, uh, I just kept coming back to this company. I love it so much. It really is my heart. Um, and so then I looked at my husband at that point and I said, well, I want to go back and buy it. And I started thinking about what would it look like if I bought the company? Would I have time for my husband and my friends and having a life? Or would this be all that I was? And, and I was fine with it being all that I was. I just needed to think about it. Yeah. And my husband had a really great real estate career going. And he has believed in my dreams for 20 years and has been supporting me to reach my goals. And I looked at him and I said, I need you to come with me. And he did, and he quit his career and quit his job and spent a year negotiating an owner buyout with me of CTM. And we sort of worked on that as a team, and, and it was everything that I needed. I needed that person in my corner that I could confide in, and, and having our interests aligned just made it that much easier. Um, How about the funding to do that? Yes, yes. So we, um, friends and family were very helpful there. Um, and so luckily I didn't need to take on investors quite yet, which I was very happy about because, again, I want to be able to reach my dream and my vision, and I don't want to spend all my time trying to satisfy investors. There will come a time for that, but I just didn't want to start there. Mm -hmm. So I was able to... To, to satisfy that without it. Um, and so when we were coming into the company, I said, okay, we bought it. You're going to now be the VP of operations. And my husband said, okay, well, as long as we come home at night and, and you know, we stop talking about work and we sort of shut <laughs> off and I can't get him to stop talking about it. We're, we're having the best time. Mark is here, by the way, in the studio and he's smiling. And I, I believe you both that that is true. You, I can see the passion and the excitement around the work that you're doing. Yes. I mean, I, I have people that contact me in my personal life who know what I do for a living and say, I have a friend that's suffering with a brain tumor. Where 
do they go to find out about clinical trials? Mm. Um, and Let's I, talk about some of your exciting studies. Yeah, so, so then there's exciting stuff that's going on all the time in research that I just want to scream about. So right now, you know, we're working on a study for stroke victims um, using stem cell research to try to cure the paralysis that comes after stroke. Wow. And it's just, I mean, it blows my mind that this is actually happening. There are a lot of trials right now that are working on new using new smart pills, which is an opportunity. It's sort of a, it's very techie, but you, you take your, your medication and it has a tracker in it that's connected to your iPhone and to the physician's iPhone. And it can actually determine how well your body is absorbing the medication, um, how it's going through your digestive system. It obviously can track when you're taking it and how you're taking it. So it increases the safety of our, our testing because now if we have real If you forget, does an alarm yeah, go there, Oh yeah, and there's all kinds of smart packaging that sort of wow. as soon as you open it, it's an alert that you've taken it. So there's really cool overlaps going on right now between healthcare and technology. Mm. Um, and clinical research is the driving force behind that. Everything has to start you know, with that clinical research testing. So I just find it really amazing. And, and when you look at sort of, I know there's a lot of people that wonder, well, well, how come we don't have a cure for cancer? But if you look at how far um, treatment for cancer has come in the last 20, 25 years, it's remarkable. I mean, women used to get breast cancer and it was sort of, that was it. There was, there was right. no hope. And now women are surviving. I mean, it, it, they're thriving. It's, it's fascinating. And that all happened due to clinical research. Yeah. As a matter of fact, women, are, they're not only, you know, they're surviving and they often have a choice of which treatment they, you know, that works best for yes, them. There's absolutely. not only one. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that, you know, so just sort of bringing it back into why I think clinical research is something that people should start to pay attention to. First of all, for a lot of people in this country, it's a standard treatment of care. There are people here, you hear stories all the time, they can't necessarily afford treatment, they can't afford going to the doctor all the time. And for certain studies that are, um, there's a lot of studies out there for already approved medications that they're now testing for something else. Um, these are a way that people actually go to get x-rays done, to get their blood works checked. And, and it may not be a perfect system, but it helps them. And it's something that they utilize. Um, there's also compassionate care. So if there's trials that are not fully approved yet, um, but someone is in, in, in end life, end stage disease, they can test it now. They can try that product before it's approved. It's just a fascinating field. So for the listeners, if someone is listening and wants, you know, they're interested and they want to, you know, participate. Yes. Where should they go? So the first thing I would say is go to clinicaltrials.gov. That's sort of a listing of all the studies that are going on. You can browse by indication and disease or, or area. Mm -hmm. um, and then second, I would say that there's companies like mine and others who are working actively right now to find a way to better give you access to clinical research, so that you can have an easier time at picking what trial might be right for you, understanding the, the mechanics behind it, who the physicians are, and just get access to more information. Okay, that's great. And we'll be sharing all that information with our listeners. Thank you so much, Kara and Thank Mark, for, for making the trek from uh, Long Island Thank to be you. with us. Thanks so um, much. I love your story. It's, it's really remarkable. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to our sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.